Welcome to the Cinematic Void Podcast. Cinematic Void is a cult film series that hosts screenings in the Los Angeles area as well as virtually. I'm your host, Jim Branscombe, and joining me as always is... Hey, it's Nick Vance, Paranoid Futures on all social media. You can find Cinematic Void on the World Wide Web at cinematicvoid.com, as well as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and all major podcast platforms. If you want to support The Void, you can join our Patreon. Not only do you get cool perks, but you make this podcast possible. All right, Jim. What are we talking about today, man? Well, it's been a while since we've done this, hasn't it? Yeah, a little bit. I, you know, I think the last episode came out in September. I, I actually thought it was like fucking July when we recorded. And someone's like, no, you, you did one in September for your like, um, you know, summer to end series. Like, oh yeah, I guess we did. I guess we did talk about those movies. It feels like a fucking year ago at this point. And then... You know, we had this Night Flight episode that just came out, which had been done for a bit. And we were like, all right, we got this, we got this. And then, like, there was a version that you had sent me your edit, and I had done an edit. And then I deleted my project file. So I still have your edit. I just don't have my edit. And I was like, ah, oh, fuck it. And then Beyond Fest hit and all that stuff and fell down into a whirlwind of chaos, so to speak. And then I think we 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 did record like a new intro and an outro for that night flight episode at one point, and then we just never got around to finishing it. So what this episode is, it's our yearly, you know, favorites episode where we talk about like, you know, my favorite five favorite Blu-rays, your five favorite albums. I feel like we're gonna have a deeper discussion about what exactly a favorite is, what exactly a list is, all that kind of stuff, but you know, we're also going to treat this as a bit of a recap since we hadn't done one of these fucking things in months at this point. Like, I don't know. I, I think what happened to both of us was beyond fest. Like, literally. Like, I had a trip at the beginning of September and you had a trip. You went to, well, you went to Riot Fest, didn't you? Uh, yes. And that's a, that's a long, crazy story, especially your flight back. Yeah. Which, which we won't get into unless you really want to get into it. It was a bit planes, trains, and automobiles. Yeah, for sure. Like, literally. But, you know, we we hit Beyond Fest. We lost our minds. Then, like, October hit. And it just it never stopped being busy for either of us. So, it's like, we wanted to do a podcast. But life was not letting us do one. I mean, shit, we, you know, we worked together, like, all the time. And I, like, would see you for, like, maybe ten minutes a day, if that so, the fact we're sitting here, having drank, like, a pot of coffee already, and it's, like, 10 o'clock at night, which is probably not the most conducive time for podcasting, but goddamn it, we're going to make it work. So, again, this episode is our 2022 favorites, but it's also going to be a bit of a recap, because a lot of shit has happened since we recorded a podcast. Just wrapped up the um, Jonathan Kaplan series I was doing in November, which is, I want to say, one of the coolest fucking things I've ever gotten to do for Cinematic Void. Um, if you don't know who John Ka- Jonathan Kaplan is, you should know who he is. Like, probably is the movie he's probably best or well, most well known for is Over the Edge, which he came out and did a Q&A. It was him, his co-writer Tim Hunter, who also directed River's Edge. Nice. And um, Pamela Ludwig, who was the one of the stars of the movie, who also was kind of the in, impromptu, informal, like, you know, she helped put together a soundtrack. She's the reason why there's Cheap Trick and Over the Edge and stuff like that. So 
I've said this before. I think I've said it probably a few times over the years, but like definitely if that was the last cinematic void, I'd be happy because it was a fantastic screening. But other things I showed in the Kaplan series, I showed Truck Turner as well as the student teachers. Both of those prints were like brand new. Like John Davison, who um, was a producer for New World Pictures and then went and did Robocop and he works for like Trailers from Hell. And for some reason... I guess, well, not for, for just reason that he wanted to. He struck new prints of a lot of films either he worked on or he liked or his friends did. So he he had, you know, he has a bunch of things like he has a new print or a newer print of Rock and Roll High School or Piranha and things like that. But like Truck Turner and Student Teachers had never been played in a theater until I played them. Really? Yeah. Like they're the last, they, they were struck at the lab. They previewed them at the lab and then had been played since. Okay. So it's been really fantastic, and I just want to say, like, I've never had the opportunity to do a Q and A with someone like three times in a row. Like, I've had guests come back and done Q and As for different movies or whatever. But like, this Kaplan series was just like it was. I kind of looked at it as a challenge, but I also looked at it as like you know something cool and different. The fact that the man made Truck Turner and Over the Edge mm -hmm. is amazing because like both of those are five star movies to me for completely different reasons. And, like, they don't, you might not think of them the same director, but watching all those movies back to back, it's clearly the same director. Very cool. And, like, you know, he had a long career. He did television. He went, he was one of the main producers and directors on ER. He also did things like, you know, he got Jodie Foster her first Oscar because he directed her in The Accused. He also did Unlawful Entry with um, Kurt Russell and Ray Liotta. Like, he's had a crazy, crazy career. And, like, when I wrapped that series, I was like, I want to do this again. Like, either pick a different decade or, like, just have him pick some of the movies we ended up not doing. Because mm -hmm. he's a really interesting dude. And, like, just be with someone that, like, you know, went to film school and, like, you know, learned to evolve as a director, like, on the fly and working with, like, little budgets and just, like, hopping genres and just, like, doing it all well. So that was, you know... That was one of the coolest fucking things I've ever gotten to do. And right now, as we're recording this, we're in the middle of the Void's Christmas season, where after some difficulties of trying to pick movies, I finally got a... I guess I went with action. I went with an action lineup. So I just, as of this recording, I just showed the silent partner. I had, I had producer Joel B. Michaels there. I had him previously in October when I did the Changeling, which I should mention, like, that Changeling was another, like, amazing all-timer Q&A I got to do. I did it with Joel, and I also did it with director Peter Medic, and showed Severn Films' new 4K restoration of The Changeling, and it just fucking... It was a great night, and it's just like, I don't know. It's I feel like I've been on a pretty good streak of like programming and things I'm showing, and just like, you know, doing Q&As, and I, I feel like I've been very self-critical of myself, and it's just like, you know what? I'm going to pat myself on the back. I did a good fucking job. Hell yeah. And I'm only saying that not to just boost my ego or whatever, but I'm just like, I just want to acknowledge it's like, I've done some cool shit this year. And that's the bigger point I'm getting at. But kind of, I'll get back to that once I finish up on Christmas here. So, you know, just did the silent partner um, this upcoming week. This podcast probably come out after I'm doing Maniac Cop 2 with Bill Lustig and Lorraine Landon. Got Invasion USA, and then going to close out the year with a French connection. So, lots of cool stuff. And then, hey, in the new year, got January Giallo, 
which by the time this podcast comes out, like all the lineups should be out. It's going to be at at least at this point, seven different venues across the country. Lots of, you know, I'm going to be traveling a lot in January. So we're going to still have podcast episodes since we've been slacking. We should have some January ones. Hell yeah. I'll be in Chicago. I will be in Denver. I will be back in Boston, Coolidge area. And of course, and I'm also going to be in um, Arizona for one off screening. So I'm particularly excited about, about one of the, the films for January. Oh yeah. We can, we, uh, we, can, we know we can talk about the lineup. Um, I'm not going to talk about the whole lineup because maybe if we get time and get our shit together and talk about the whole January GL, but I, I think it's worth talking about the LA lineup. So, and you know, I'll save the best for last because I know that's the one you're most excited for. Oh, yeah. So, you know, kicking things off with a rare Technicolor 35mm print of Lucio Fulci's A Lizard in a Woman's Skin. I think I said that right. Yeah, it's a lizard in woman's skin, not a woman in a lizard skin. Sometimes I get dyslexic with these giallo titles, but, I mean, this is a bucket list one. Like, I never thought I would ever see it on film. I, I hope to find, like, the U.S. version, which was released as Schizoid or something like that. And, you know, I just, like, kind of gave up the, like, there was. But shout out to Harry Guerrero from Exum Films. He found an Italian print and, like, like had it brought over and was kind enough to hold on to it for January so a bunch of venues could play it for January Giallo. So shout out for Harry. He actually brought it over the show at his, like, Harthon he does every year. But he's like, hey, I got this print. I was like, can you hold on to it through January? He's like, yep. That's like. So that's the kickoff. It will also be playing um, the Music Box in Chicago and um, Coolidge in Brookline, mm-hmm. Massachusetts. So if you get an opportunity, please go see. My understanding, I haven't seen it yet, but like basically everyone I know who saw it in Philly said it's a fucking amazing, beautiful, impeccable print. So really stoked. I'm also showing a movie called Formula for a Murder. It's um, directed by Alberto DeMartino. He did um, Strange Shadows in Empty Room, Antichrist, and Puma Man. Uh, I'm trying to say it like how Donald Pleasant says in the movie. Like, basically a long-time, like, Italian genre filmmaker. This was, like, late, mid-80s, like, kind of giallo thing. It was, like, one of the last movies he did. It stars David Warbeck from The Beyond, just playing it, like, chewing up scenery, just being absolutely unhinged at it. It's a pretty gnarly movie. A little goofy too, but kind of excited because that's another Italian language print. And I don't think it's ever played the U.S. like film wise. Cool. I don't even think it's another Harry Guerrero print, and I don't think he's even played it as far as I know yet. Played some, I guess, standard classics as well this year. I'm doing Autopsy starring Mimsy Farmer, which has one of the great dummy drops of cinema history in it. Going to do Death Laid an Egg, which is one of the best late '60s kind of gialli. You know, takes place on a chicken farm. Really cool. I think you would dig that one. Okay. I think most of this lineup you would actually dig. Sick. Because I know you're not the biggest Giallo fan. But the last one is my Neo Giallo pick. And I'm sure there's going to be some people like, why the fuck are you showing that? And it's like, you know why I'm fucking showing that? Because it's awesome. Yeah. And it's I Know Who Killed Me starring Lindsay Lohan. Tell me why you're so excited for that one. I mean, it's a fucking banger, dude. I, I love this movie so much. It's so good. Oh, I agree. Like, I've had people, like, when I asked Eagle to do the posters, like, come on, man. <laughs> I Well, I, I think that I think people that I, I think that anyone that would poo-poo it that's into this stuff, I, I personally think that maybe they should, they either haven't seen it. They haven't seen it. Or they need to take a, another look. 
No, they haven't seen it yeah. because like the reason why this is my favorite Neo Giallo, like I I fully believe if like changed the era and like, you know, some of the things in the movie obviously are more tech you know, modern time stuff, but like if you took the basic plot, mm-hmm. dropped in the late sixties, early seventies, and it was like Carol Baker and Berta Lindsay right. or Edwidge Fennick and Sergio Martino making this movie. It's nonsensical. It's a it's a <laughs> well no, it's a, it, it it follows all the giallo, giallo tropes. Right. And like, you know, there's doppelgangers, there's like, you know there's all kinds of shit in it. It's like you got fetishy color schemes, mm-hmm. you got like you know, just sleaze, you know, I mean, not really Giallo-like, but you get the Melvins and the sword on the soundtrack, and I don't know, it's just a fucking insane movie, and like, it, it feels like, even though, I think that what happened in this movie, it came out right as Lindsay Lohan was re- beginning her, like, I guess, career downfall, or whatever you want to call it, so that's why I kind of call it the... Descent into madness? Yeah, I <laughs> it, it hit right then, but like... If she had been an actor in the 60s or 70s and went and made that movie like in Europe, it mm-hmm. would make perfect sense. Hell yeah. But just because it was a movie made in the States, like coming as like her world at that time was falling apart, it just people kind of dismissed it. But like, I I mean, I don't know if she has an opinion on it, but I think it's really fucking cool. Hope that you try to get her to come out and uh, and you ask her opinion on it. <laughs> All right. I'm going to try. That's, that's my challenge to you. All right. <laughs> I'll hit up a rate. I think she's doing like Hallmark movies or some shit now. It's like, yeah. hey, do you want to talk about this shit? Because like, I, I actually do want to know what she thinks of it. I mean, she might fucking hate it or like dismiss it. But I think like, no, dude, the it's, I think it's a just a really wild movie. It's like, it's rare that like even that you know in the mid two thousands when this came up or late two thousand or before two thousand tens or whatever whenever this movie came out, it's like it's insane that it got made. Yeah, I I think this is what it's a it's one that people are eventually going to come around on. So get the get on the boat now. Yeah, I mean it's like I was kind of like when I first heard about it, I was like I don't know man and like I get a shout out to Bruce Holcheck because Bruce is like no dude it's it's a it's pretty much a giallo and i was like holy shit you're right like just everything about it and it's like you know there's a lot of people that always like oh i'm doing a neo giallo and stuff and then like they kind of get like the aesthetic they look at the colors and stuff but no one gets the plot Mm -hmm. and like you gotta kind of have to follow that template and like this movie just hits it all to a t like perfectly so that's why i'm showing it and a couple other venues are showing i know denver's playing it and i think if they get it confirmed, I think maybe Knoxville is going to play it too. Because cool. people are like, oh, yeah, that's a fucking good idea. Yeah. And plus, um, shout out my homie Will Morris. He just played it for his music box, like, Horathon too. Because I knew there was a print out there. I've been wanting to play it. And I just, like, I went and checked the Sony website. And I didn't see it listed. I'm like, oh, man, did they just give up the rights or are they just hiding it? So when I saw Will was playing, I was like, yo, where'd you book it? He's like, Sony. I'm like, sweet. I, and it's probably not been played very many times, so like it's probably super clean. Um, I know it's played Cinefamily way back because I know, I'm, I know Phil played it because like when I when I was talking to Phil about the lineup, he's like, "Oh shit, you're playing that." I was thinking about playing like I know who killed me. Uh, he's like, I, "It must be something in the air." I was like, "I think it's just like I, I think the reevaluation is there." It's due. It's due, man. So yeah, <laughs> it, outside of a, a lizard and women's skin. Showing that Technicolor print, I think I'm more most stoked about watching. I know who killed me with the audience. 
So I, I'm really excited. So I should say, like, it's been a long fucking year. Mm-hmm. Very long. And, like, you know, I I went from doing, like, a show a month to, like, a show a week. And sometimes more this whole year. And, like, I guess before we get into, like, our favorites, I just want to say it's, like, you know, I'm grateful I got to do what I got to do. I might have complained about it or been burned out at different points and, like, you know, had to rescale the cinematic movie back. But then I did a whole run of it in October. I did five back-to-back episodes, which I think when I do another season in 2023, that's kind of how what I'm going to do is just do it weekly again. But just do it like a real show where you have a season and then, like, take a break as opposed to trying to, like, commit to something monthly. Mm -hmm. So I think that was a good thing. But, like, you know, I I got to do – I got to show a lot of movies this year. And because it was weekly, I had the opportunity to show, you know, things that if I had a monthly slot, I might have the fault to do. Whereas, like, having a weekly, it's like, well, you got to fill slots. And, like, you know, did a lot of cool things. Like, you know, Last American Versions Q&A, the Jonathan Kaplan series, you know, doing the Changelings, Spookies. Like, you know, showing Seconds, finally, which has been my all-time bucket list movie to be able to screen. Doing, like, 80s HBO, like, like comedies or, like, you know, things we watched as kids all the time. Like, a lot of things that, like, I didn't think, like, I would ever have the opportunity to do as Void because you, you know, once a lot a month. But, like... It's exhausting, but it's rewarding because now I've gotten to show, like, just a, a lot of things. So, I don't know. It's been a hard year. It's been a weird year. A lot of weirdness still going on. But, like, you know, it's been a good year. And, you know, I don't want to change anything about it other than maybe get a couple extra hours of sleep here and there. So, we're going to take a quick commercial break. But when we return, we're going to talk about... My top five Blu-rays, and Nick's going to talk about his top five albums for 2022 on the Cinematic Void Podcast. There's one product no medicine cabinet should be without. Uh Alka-Seltzer. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Ho! Alka-Seltzer. Ho, ho, ho! Ho, 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 ho! For acid indigestion with headache, nothing's more soothing or effective. Ho, ho, ho! No wonder it's America's home remedy. Come on, everyone, it's time. Hello, I'm Orville Redenbacher. This is my favorite time of the year, when we Redenbachers get together to share the best of the season. Of course, we pop up plenty of my light and fluffy gourmet popping corn and my gourmet microwave popping corn. Ready? You'll say they're the season's best, or I'm not... Great grandpa to you. May your holiday be the best there is. We are Beatrice. Welcome back. We're talking about our favorite Blu-rays slash albums for 2022. I'll be talking Blu-rays. Nick will be talking albums. And then once we do our top fives, we're going to take another break. And we're going to talk about, you know, my favorite albums and Nick's favorite Blu-rays, film screenings, movies that came out. We're just going to... Just gonna favor that shit up, you know. So, I think what's the normal format? You go first, and I go. Yeah, you love to make me go first here. You know what? We're gonna we're gonna change tradition. I will go first, and you can go second. What? what let's throw a fucking curveball here. 
So my top five are not in any particular order, although I think my number one is my number one Blu-ray release of the year. Um, the way I do Blu-ray releases isn't necessarily like, you know, extensive restoration stuff. It has to be part of it. Like it's a movie I really love and there's a nice addition to it. And whether it has like a shit ton of extras or whatever, you know, that matters, but doesn't matter to me. So, you know, a lot of people who talk about their top Blu-ray releases are looking like, you know, 4k like scan and color correction and all that stuff and i look at that shit too but at the end of the day it's the entire package it's like you can do a beautiful restoration on a movie but if the movie's a piece of shit i don't care mm-hmm. so so for my number five even though it's not really number five it's just one of five put it that way i went with a movie that fun city editions had put out they would do really nice work mm-hmm. like a lot of shit i haven't ever you know had seen or heard of and like they and the stuff I have, it's like it's been good curation. This one I was very fucking stoked they put out on Blu-ray, and it's um Lynn Ramsey's Moverne and Caller, oh, nice. which is a fucking incredible movie. I I've said it before, I'll say it again. Lynn Ramsey, top five director, dead or alive. Wow. Okay. You, you she like we need to talk about Kevin Ratcatcher. Mm-hmm. Fucking um, the movie she made with Joaquin Phoenix. That I'm forgetting the name of that I could look up, but I'm not going to. It's like you were never really here or something like that. Oh yeah, that's the one. Mm-hmm. I think that's the title. Wow, I pulled that out of my ass, but like, I never made a bad film. Never made a movie that is less than five stars, as far as I'm concerned. And this movie's no exception. This fucking Blu-ray just fucking smokes. Like, if you haven't seen this movie, it's it's devastating. It's fucking mean. It's fucking funny. And I mean mean in the sense of like, you know, the main character's a little, basically takes a tragedy and, or I should say, takes lemons and really makes some sweet lemonade out of it kind of thing. So if you haven't seen the movie, it's fucking incredible. Pick up that disc. I'm sure the limited edition slipcover is already gone or whatever. The thing that makes people buy Blu-rays is a fucking piece of cardboard. But the movie itself is impeccable and like highest possible recommendation. And again... I will say Lynn Ramsey, top five filmmaker right now, dead or alive. I'm, I I don't think it's for debate. You can debate me on it, but it's just like, tell me who who else has made Ratcatcher, if we need to talk, talk about Kevin, this movie. Like, doesn't miss. Yeah. I just, the only thing I wish is she has made more movies. But you know what? The ones she's made are fucking incredible, so... That's my number five, although it's not really number five. It's one of five. We're just trading. We just trading. Oh, man. we're trading. Okay. All right. I'm talking about records. I uh, I also kind of don't really have a, a one through five. Um, I went a little heavy on. I get, got back into guitar music this year, I suppose. So, which I, is funny after like two years of like I don't listen to guitar music yeah. kind of shit. Yeah, I mean that shit still sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah so i went and i don't know i mean there's just like i don't know everything is just kind of like heavy heavy i don't know heavy it, weird like grungy it's like grunge or or new gaze yeah new like, new metal shoegaze emo grunge like everybody's kind of doing the same sort of thing right now so it's my list is kind of heavy on that i'm just just a little warning there but uh i'll i'll take a quick detour here though and uh, i really like this no pressure self-titled record that came out on a uh, triple b records this year i think it's the singer of the story so far but i don't know it's the singer of some like popular like emo pop punk band 
but so this is his his like you know I don't know. I, side I, project. It's side project. It's kind of. I mean, I guess like I, I said, it's pop punk. I don't know. When I say it's pop punk, it sounds like Blink One Eighty Two. And like a little saves the day or something. It it remind. It's as if like Blink One Eighty Two was recording Lifetime songs or something like. Yeah, that. that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Because when you sent it to me, and it's just like I, I'll you know I'll talk about this a little later when we yeah. talk about you know other things we like but like when you sent me this record it was like the most perfect thing i needed in that moment i was like oh shit i didn't know i needed that that's what i needed to hear and like god damn it that's what i need to hear it's kind of refreshing people don't people aren't making this music right now or not really you know so i mean it's just unabashedly like that era pop punk Mm -hmm. it's and definitely the uh that that little bit of lifetime influence definitely sweetens the pot for me you know because if it was just straight up i mean hey i i like the first few blink 182 records for sure like i'm not a hater um so i'm i'm down for a blink 182 clone but uh but but i think this is a little bit more than that because it's just like it's well produced it sounds good you know it's like obvious influences on on their sleeve but it's just like the fact they pulled it off and the record's like fucking short as shit Mm -hmm. like it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's not overthinking. There's no like fucking ballads or any of that kind of shit. It's just like it's a fucking pop punk record and that's it. Sounds like going skateboarding in the nineties. Yeah. I that's the one thing I've noticed now for like a lot of bands is like late nineties, early two thousands are back. It's a nice uh it's a good era of music to uh, rip rip from, I I think. And I mean, especially- but also that's kind of like that's definitely our formative years of like getting into music anyway. So it's a lot of good underground music came from that era. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a nostalgia trip, but in a really fantastic way. Mm-hmm. So I guess uh, don't want to interrupt unless you have no, a- no. That's that that's it for me on that one. Okay, so I'm gonna go for my number four, one of four, or four or five. Like it again, it's not really my number four, but uh, this one came out from Grindhouse releasing. I actually did kind of a. It's not quite a Blu-ray release screening of it, but it was a pretty early on screening. And it's the movie Death Game, which stars Sandra Locke, um, Colleen Camp, and Seymour Cassell. Grindhouse Releasing had been working on this fucking release for years, years, and did the screening. Eli Roth came out because he's a huge fan of the movie. He also made Knock Knock, which is a remake of this movie. Mm-hmm. And then I did a Q or a Q and A with Colleen Camp and um cinematographer editor and the voice of seymour cassell in the movie david worth oh okay because seymour cassell hated being on the movie and when they asked him to come back the loop lines he said go fuck yourself and didn't come back so david worth was like the mvp of keeping this movie together so this re this release on blu-ray is impeccable it's like just to give you a little plot it's about this guy played by seymour cassell his wife goes away for the weekend wife and kids he's at the home alone he's having pizza rain outside two young girls show up and they kind of seduce him and he lets himself be seduced and then the next morning they begin to fucking torture him Mm -hmm. and it's like it is a fucking one of the great exploitation movies like it it goes all over the place and like colin camp and sandra Locke give like completely amazing performances and because david worth worked on that movie and sandra Locke was dating Clint Eastwood for many years. She got involved with Clint Eastwood, so he was a DP on a few Clint Eastwood movies too. Oh, okay. So, you know, again, that was a really fun Q&A I got to do, but it's also a really stellar Blu-ray release that if you haven't picked it up, 
grab it from Grindhouse Releasing. They put out, you know, lots of cool stuff like the Beyond, Pieces, Campbell Holocaust, The Swimmer, like all kinds of good releases. And they don't, they're not as prolific as a lot of the other boutique labels, but when Grindhouse drops something, it's definitely worth picking up. So Death Game is, it's an essential Blu-ray to pick up. And it's one of my favorite five or one of my five favorite releases of 2022. Cool. I haven't seen that one. And I think you've sold me on it. Yeah. yeah I think you enjoy it. It's like, it's definitely, I, I did see Knock Knock when it came out. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I didn't feel so good about that, Yeah, but you sold me on the original. The, the original is like, definitely check it out. It's, it's definitely worth, you know, check. You know, it's definitely worth watching, especially for seventies exploitation movies, especially for one that's been like maligned and hard to see really good for many years. And like this fucking restoration is outstanding. Right on. All right. I guess next up I'm going to go with, uh, an, and these aren't really in order. Um, they're, uh, they're kind of, genre wise maybe these are all over the place so i'm just kind of picking five records i just listened to a ton this year right yeah um so next up uh i'm gonna go with gridiron no good at goodbyes which uh no good at goodbyes yeah there you go which uh <laughs> is that on is that on triple b i think it's on triple b as well so yeah these, so uh both of these last two records are on triple b records uh a great record label that, that i would say mostly does hardcore uh from the east coast gridiron is like tough heavy hardcore with kind of rappy vocals none of this sounds uh it doesn't i'm not selling it well but i love this record man it's so catchy it's so good it yeah it's like it takes a lot of things that were at one point viewed as cheesy Mm -hmm. and excels at all of them to the point like it's undeniable how fucking good that record is Totally. Like, I kind of like that No Pressure record. Like, I didn't need, know I needed to hear a hardcore record, like, mm-hmm. fucking Gridiron until I heard it. And just like, oh, fuck. Like, yeah, I needed this. Yeah. They, ha- they, they have a formula, and they hit it on every song. Like, every song is great. They don't outstay their welcome. Like, it's just the perfect formula for them. It just, it really works. I mean, there's football references, obviously, because it's called Gridiron. But, like, even if you're not a football fan and you're just like a like an ugly mean hardcore with some rapping some screaming some like metal ass fucking riffs yeah like great know, riffs like oh yeah the fucking riffs are just fucking killer and it's like it's a lot of things where you saying out loud is like what that's not going to sell anyone on it but once you hear it, it's like okay everything you say now makes sense in the context of just listening to it so i think Basically, the easiest way to say it is just fucking listen to this record. If you're a fan of, say, Cold World, Eton Concrete, that kind of like rap hardcore, it's a no-brainer. Check out, check out Gridiron. Yeah. All right. I guess I'm going to jump ahead to my number three or third film on this list of five. Again, not a real top five, just in any order, just five of my favorite blu-ray releases uh number three came from cauldron films who have been knocking out of the park very steadily the last few years um and this was a really i was ecstatic that they did this because it hasn't been it's been on dvd but it hadn't been on blu-ray and it's it's a movie that deserves a nice release and it's um contraband directed by lucio fulci this is fulci doing a euro crime film way like five six seven eight years out of the prime like it's in the 80s but 
he also he was in the middle of his zombie run. So like not only is this like a Euro, it's like a Euro crime movie, it's an ultra Euro ultra gory Euro crime movie. It's fucking violent, it's ridiculous. It's like it's a faulty zombie movie, no zombies. Okay. So it's just action packed. It's fucking it's fucking great. And again, this is like shout out to Cauldron and Jesse, who also runs Diabolic DVD. Like, you know, it's kind of hard being a newer label in the boutique label scheme of things because, like, you know, a lot of the rep stuff is like everyone's already got a scoop and gobbled it up. So, like, to be able to like snag something like a real diamond, you know, not even diamond rough, just a diamond release, which is contraband, like Fulci in his prime, and dropping on Blu-ray, that's fucking amazing. Oh, yeah. So if you if you like Lucio Fulci and over the top gore. Which means, I mean, if you like Lucio Fulci, you're gonna like Over the Top Core. Obviously, mm-hmm. you'll definitely dig Contraband and pick up that Blu-ray from Cauldron. Super sick. Um, I guess next up on my list, I'm gonna go with um, uh, I'm gonna go with uh, Time. All right, Time's from I think they're from Philly or or surrounding areas like Philly suburbs, something like that. Um, they're from somewhere in Pennsylvania for sure, but I, I think it's Philly in particular. But uh, they put out an LP this year called Hydrangea. I'm going to try to pronounce it like Pangea, I guess, but like hy- Hydrant. So like, I guess yeah, that means well, like maybe like it's some underwater piece of land or something. Could be. What do you think? You know, uh, uh, that, that sounds good to me. So we'll just roll with it. Um, But uh, they put out an LP on Jumpstart Records and it's like... I don't know. It's another, like I say, everything is kind of falling in that kind of grungy, shoegazy, melodic rock territory these days. And I think this band is one of the ones that are doing it particularly well. And uh, the it's a maybe a little more straightforward than a lot of a lot of these. Like I, I don't know. Maybe it's not like as new metal as some of these bands, but it still gets heavy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. This record is just catchy as shit, man. I love it. It's definitely more on like the more traditional like shoegaze or indie rock or college mm-hmm. rock or whatever the fuck. Right. You like there's it. definitely some Husker Du in there. It's oh, yeah, like more like straightforward guitar rock. You there, know? There's a song on there. I think it's called Arm Candy. It just like sounds like something Bob Mould would write. And like I, I really like this record too. It, I, I think it just missed maybe my like personal top ten. But like it was up there. Mm-hmm. And it's I think it's a great fucking record. And like. Again, I'm kind of like really happy with all the shoegaze, new gaze, like indie rock, grunge, or whatever. Like all these things just popping back up. It's like it's kind of making music exciting again because I feel like a lot of like guitar rock was really just wimpy, like throwback, like Zeppelin shit or yeah. something like that. Just ballless fucking garbage. Yeah, there's some bad garage rock for a number yeah. of years. I don't want garage rock. I want a fucking band to sound like they're going to fucking, like, blow a fucking amp. I want, like, bands to hit, like, the Dinosaur Jr. realm. Right on. So, I mean, I dig. Fucking great record. Great pick. Oh, yeah. All right, so for my number two, and I this might actually be really my number two because I think it's a great release. And I was trying to do you know, releases from a bunch of different labels. But the next two, I'm just going to say they're both from Severn Films. And obviously, I have a long working relationship with Severn Films. Yeah, I'm probably biased, but I also think they do outstanding work and they've been, like, nailing shit. 
And this is one of the box sets they put out. They put out a few box sets this year. I think they did a Christopher Lee one. There was the Ray Dennis Steckler one. And this is probably my favorite of them all, which is the House of Psychotic Women box set, which was kind of released in conjunction with the re-release of Kayla Janice's book, House of Psychotic Women. What I really like about this box set is the fact that, like, there's three movies in it I've never fucking seen before. The only one I've seen is, like, you know, Footprints, which is, like, a giallo by the guy I did um, The Fifth Chord, mm-hmm. which was, like, one of the kind of, sadly, never had a good release now. Severn put it out, but, like, there's a lot of stuff on there. There's a movie Identikit on there with um, Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah, yeah. I saw that one re- very recently, actually. Yeah, and it's just like, it's just I. That's the thing I like about it is because like, being in this era of like seeing things that I've never seen, just like is really exciting to me. And like I'm really just you know I'm stoked, and it's like a beautifully well put together box set. So that's my number two. All right, uh, next up, a record that I uh, I was very excited for, and uh, and when it finally came out. Um, it did not disappoint, and that is uh, the Fleshwater. Um, it's their debut LP. They put out a demo, I think, in 2020, um, and re-recorded one of those songs for this LP. But it's called "We're Not Here to Be Loved," and it's on Closed Casket Records, who mostly does like death metal and more like just more like metal and hardcore thrashy stuff. Um, but uh, this is more of like a, it's definitely a. A, like a new metal grunge shoegaze record, but definitely heavy on the new metal. Like this is a, yeah. this is this could definitely be, be mistaken as a new metal record. I mean, it's definitely deft tones, but like yeah. I, I also feel like it starts drifting past that. I guess for certain people, are very comfortable with deft tone style mm-hmm. of when it tiptoed in new metal. It's definitely like crossing that line into like probably some stuff people don't want to admit they ever liked or whatever kind of thing. I mean, people readily admit they like corn and Slipknot these days. That's the thing. I, I, I'm still not into that stuff. No, me either, man. But Me either. But some of those, I mean, I think you can take that down-tuned guitar and, like, you know, play riffs like it, but give it a different context, and it just yeah becomes more appealing to my ears and probably your ears at the yeah, same yeah, time. Yeah, for sure. Slipknot and Disembodied are not that different but i i think it's the, just, i mean there's a world of difference between them but they're not so different not you know no, if you listen to the riffs and like yeah. song structures like you'd be bummed how close yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah Fleshwater. uh this record's really really great really catchy uh really heavy but then also really catchy in parts um they cover bjork oh yeah uh, that that fucking cover is just insane kicks ass I think the only other time I've heard someone cover Bjork was like Greg Dooley did in Twilight Singers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. He did Hyper Ballad. That was really, really fucking awesome. Goddamn. I don't know. It's a really cool record. It is one of my favorites for the year. Like, unexpectedly was one of my favorites. Like, first time I heard it, it's like, man, that might be too new metal for me. And then it's just like, nah, that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. No, this is actually just really good. But yeah, so there's uh, there's my uh, just an, another pick, not really in any type of order, I suppose. Yeah, yeah that's fair. I mean, no, I, a- I, I'll say I I will say I think that that's probably my number one rock record. That's my number one rock record of the year. That's a Fleshwater. It's a motherfucker. Yeah, I I agree. I like that. I, I in fact I uh I just um I just saw uh, some shows just got announced on the East Coast, 
like at the auto bar, like <laughs> a- a- angel dust, angel dust, fiddlehead, someone else. And then at the bottom, it said three bands and one of them was Fleshwater. Oh shit. And so like I hit up my friend, I was like, buy me a ticket and I'll buy a fucking plane ticket and I'll see you in February. And uh, so he bought me a ticket to the show and then I realized that it's a tour and that Fleshwater are playing the Boston date and there's a band in Baltimore playing the Baltimore date. Aww. And yeah, so. Whack. Um, but I, I haven't been home in a while, so maybe I'll go anyway. Fuck it. But I'm bummed I'm not seeing Fleshwater. That sucks. Yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah, it happens. I just like quit. I mean, I, I didn't buy a plane ticket yet. Like, it's, I'm still not like really out anything, you know, like. <laughs> Your friend's just out of fucking he's ticket. Out to, I mean, he's out 20 bucks. I'll send you 20 bucks, Frank. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> I guess now we're at our number ones or least last pick of these top fives that are in no particular order i do feel like this is probably my number one blu-ray release and reason why is one it's kind of been a bucket list title for a lot of people to ever see a really good blu-ray and again seven films knocked out of the park and of course i'm talking about Dario argento's four flies on gray velvet you know it's ultra hd blu-ray soundtrack cd uh, we did the Severn Super Shock pop-up film festival back in November. I should have mentioned that earlier, but like that was one of the many events I did this year. And they premiered like two restorations of titles they released for their Black Friday. First was Action Mutante, which is absolutely bonkers movie, and it was this one. Mm-hmm. And you know, seeing it on the big screen and seeing it look amazing, it's like it it changed my opinion of the movie. Like. This was because this was always a hard Argento to see for mm-hmm. many years. When I finally saw it, I was a little disappointed in it. And I know that's weird because I have a tattoo from this movie, like from the poster art. But like, I guess it was disappointing because like it it it's not as good as you know Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Mm-hmm. And like, I guess some people argue that's way better than Cat O' Nine Tails, even though I think Cat is a pretty good movie. But like, I guess it was just it felt like he didn't. He was kind of over making like those jolly thrillers and all that at that point, but like revisiting and like seeing it's like there's a lot of art, there's a lot of craft in it, there's a lot of like artistry. Like I mean, there's always in Argento movies, but like seeing it look fucking how it should look mm-hmm. is definitely like, and watching it with the audience is definitely changed my opinion of it. What I thought was used to be like a three and a half star movie is maybe a four and a half star movie now, and. Severin, besides seeing that restoration in a theater, that fucking disc is stacked. Cool. Like, you know, it's it it was kind of the last Argento movie outside of the other one that Severin put out, which was another one that was impossible to see, which was called The Five Days, which is the movie he made after Four Flies on Grey Velvet, where more or less, like, he's like, yeah, I'm done doing Giallo films. I'm going to take my hand in doing a historic like a period piece comedy. Okay. Which that, that Blu-ray is outstanding too. And it's kind of weird to watch the movie. Cause like, he's definitely doing something out of his, you know, what is established wheelhouses, but like all the directorial flair is still there. And a lot of things he did in that movie translate into what he ended up doing in deep red. Like a few years later after he decided like maybe period piece comedy dramas aren't my bag and maybe killing people, with straight razors is (laughs) yeah (laughs) but yeah so this is my number one blu-ray release um i I think severin probably still has their web store closed since their black friday sale but if it reopens definitely grab one while you still have a chance because 
you know, it's definitely a bucket list title that finally hit Blu-ray and they knocked it out of the fucking park. Sweet. I think I will try to grab one of those. All right. So I'm going to cheat as I like to do. Uh, but this is because partially we can, we can really just talk about this because I don't know uh, which one is my favorite. Um, so we mo- we mostly have talked about hip hop or rap on this podcast <laughs> when we talk about music in general. So uh, the new Boney James, Nicholas Craven record called uh, Fair Exchange, No Robbery. Mm-hmm. It's like probably 10 songs. It's, it's short and sweet. And it's just, I mean, one of the best producers today. Yeah. Consistent as hell. Did the whole thing. And then one of the greatest rappers today, Boldy James. I think I don't think that's crazy to say. I mean, he's absolutely one of the best rappers out right now. You know, you know what listen to this records, like Boldy's done a lot of records, like he's just done single producer records. And like I think there was a he did one with Future Wave this year too. Mm-hmm. But like he's also done those Alchemist records. Yeah. And like I think every year we talk about those out like we were talking about the price of tea at China mm-hmm. and then there's um you know, Bo Jackson that came out in like Tecmo Bowl or whatever. And we always talk about them and like I always think they're gonna make my list and they then they don't for like top albums. And I don't think there's anything bad, but just something about this one is just like so cohesive. Well P- price of tea in China, you know, that was like a that was that, that was a work of art, you know what I mean? It was I, like I, really I, long, and it was just really artful and really just it was kind of it's kind of out there a little bit. Yeah, I I think I think that actually made your list. Yeah, I think it, I think it did. I could see why you know there's there's like a lot of tracks on there like where there aren't drums, yeah. and shit like that. But this is just like a classic fucking hip hop record or a classic. I, I think it's more classically structured. Like, you know, I know a lot of people are now doing the one producer, one MC kind of thing. I think there's only one guest spot on this record. Yeah. And, like, it's just basically a showcase for Boldy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's something about Craven's beats that kind of, like, suit how he raps yeah. a little bit more than Alchemist, which is not to say those Alchemist records aren't great, but I just feel like it's just, it just feels, like, so cohesive. Right. And it's like, you know, I. I was like, yeah, this should be cool, but it, like, I ended up like, goddamn, I really fucking like this record a lot. Is that well, it's the it's like all the all the Alchemist ones? They just they're too experimental, yeah, like, like to a fault. Whereas this one, it's just it's not it doesn't get experimental. Yeah, it's yeah. just and Nick Nicholas Craven, he kind of uh, on you know he did a, he did a bunch of those records with Ransom. Yeah, he kind of just does one thing, but he does it really fucking well. And and that's not to discredit what he does because like, it's he's not he's he's great you know it's like the the stuff that he does for ransom is a little more like almost horror thing like you can yeah. hear it in the beats too it's I don't know if it's actually like direct samples but you know it's that's what it is but he still he just does one thing yeah and that's you know it's sometimes you know it's the Motorhead thing like Motorhead could only do one thing which is Motorhead and every Motorhead album kind of i don't want to say it's the same but like if you've heard one you've heard one you've heard them all and yeah there's always going to be a track or two that's going to really stand out but like a motorhead record you're not going to get disappointed listening to motorhead record you're going to get a fucking motorhead record Mm -hmm. and when you hear nicholas craven doing beats you're going to get a nicholas craven record and i just think just there's just some kind of extra special magical whatever you want to call when boldy stepped on there totally the cover art is awesome. It looks like an old like highlights magazine or something. Yeah, it it's fucking 
don't know. It's just top notch. And the cover art, just the way that it has all the red in the snow, just feels like a Christmas record. It does. Kind of feels good for this time of year. For yeah. some reason, they just like you know. There, there, there's some kind of holiday spirit in there, even though <laughs> there, even though there is exactly no holiday yeah. spirit in there. It's really, I guess, it's just the cover, but it just, yeah, it, it did that for me. Yeah. For some reason. Um, but anyway, uh, that is not necessarily my number one record. I cannot figure it out. Maybe it's the new Freddie Gibbs, uh, Soul Sold Separately. You know, that record, when I, because the way Freddie rolled it out, I think he spent a whole year dropping singles, mm-hmm. and then not a single one of those singles ended up on the fucking record. Right. Which is kind of a great strategy. I guess they put all the songs on the bonus edition or whatever, but... Yeah, like, it's sick. It's sick, and, like, it also is kind of the exact opposite of the, you know, Nicholas Craven, Boldy James, because, you know, Freddie had done an album, Alchemist, which I think was probably maybe the best of the Alchemist projects out there. And, like, he's also, you know, done records with Mad Lib and stuff like that. This one, he had different producers on every single song, Mm -hmm. like, consciously. And he has a theme to it. He kind of like he pushes himself. Like it's definitely like yeah, it's a it's a it's a rap record, it's a hip hop record. He's definitely doing some soul stuff, but I feel like he's searching and pushing himself to be great in a way. And whether you think that record achieves all that, you know, it's up to your up to your ears and what you think. And like it was a record I listened to and I stepped away from it and then came back to. When I came back to it, I honestly loved it so much more. Yeah, I think when it came out, because, like, you know, it came out in the um, kind of, like, towards the end of the year and, like, you know, Griselda all, and all those, like, Conway, Benny, and Westside had released, like, fucking shit ton of records. And, like, you know, no disrespect, but, like, they just kind of weren't... They didn't have the same edge they did last year. They're not on the list. No. And there, I think there's some other records that, like, maybe aren't on your list that I thought were really good. Yeah, and one of them I even not even my list and I think it's phenomenal is that Nas King's Disease 3 because mm-hmm. like it's just great and you know there's that Pusher T record which is like kind of it's kind of in between because half the record is um produced by Farrell and Nep- Neptunes and um the other is Hitler's number one fan Kanye West oh right like, <laughs> which might hurt Push's Oscar or not Oscar a Grammy mm-hmm. nomination or a winning chances or whatever but like the thing that Freddie kind of bucked the trend of like not using a single producer, used a shitload of producers. So there's Alchemist, there's Mad Lib, um, I don't know who else is on. I can't think of who. Oh, like um, fucking um, dude from Three Six Mafia produces one of the songs. Oh shit! So it's like it's it's kind of like all over the place and like it's kind of inconsistent, but it's consistent. Mm-hmm. It's kind of you know all over the place, but not. And I think Freddie, where I say where Nicholas Craven does one thing and he does it well, Boldy James does one thing and he does it well, them together made something special. I think with that, that Gibbs record is because when he hits the highs of that record, they're so high that like no one can fucking touch him. And, but also by doing that, if you kind of miss a little bit, it feels like a bigger drop, even if it really isn't. Yeah. So it's like, I I think both records are incredible in different ways. But I do think, like, you know, 
as consistent and solid as that Craven um, Boldy James record is. I think there's a string of songs on that Gibbs record that just kind of like kind of pushes it to being my probably favorite rap record in general, just because it just he's pushing himself, and it's like the song he does with Pusha T, and then the song My Gr- Grandma's Stove, and then I think the CIA song that Madlib produced. I think it's just like those three songs are just such a like run in a stacked album that it just that's why it's like elevated right on sick as hell so that's our top five blu-rays and albums we're going to take a one last break here when we come back we're going to talk about some of our other favorite things of 2022 on the cinematic void podcast Polaroids, sx70 sonar and time zero super colors a perfect christmas combination like egg and nog the finest instant camera and the fastest developing color huh this gets much closer than any other instant. If you right through the lens, the focus is automatic. And this sharp, bright color comes up in seconds. No other camera does that. That is close. What other cameras do that? Name one. Well, I'm thinking. You only got till Christmas. Here's one for Mom and Daddy, one Grandma came to bring, one from Uncle Charlie, and one from Burger King. It's the Burger King dog. This Christmas, your kids can have this colorful, cuddly Burger King doll free when you buy a book of 10 gift certificates for $5. Add an extra touch to Christmas with a gift from Burger King. Welcome back. We just talked about our top five albums and Blu-rays here on the Cinematic Void podcast. I did Blu-rays. Nick did albums. But now we're going to switch things up because it's the end of the year. We have some other favorite things to and, you know, Nick might have his own favorite Blu-rays. I might have my favorite album. So we're just going to talk about that. So why don't you go ahead and tell me about some of your other favorite things, Nick? All right, let's see. I did uh, I did grab a couple of Blu-rays this year. I don't buy a ton of Blu-rays, honestly. And I like, I, like I've said in the past, I mostly collect Criterion. So one of them was uh, came out yesterday. It's the uh, Criterion uh, number 1,163, the... Uh, Michel Haneke uh, trilogy, which is the Seventh Continent, Benny's video, and Seventy One Fragments of Chronology of Chance, and uh, I love Seventh Continent so much, so I had to buy it on that alone. Um, and uh, you know what? While we are te- talking about packaging and what have you, I haven't I haven't watched this yet. I don't know what the transfer looks like, but I can tell you that uh, it's three films. I have a bunch of Criterion Collection stuff. It's it's super whack that it's three films in this fucking little thing that they usually put one film in. Like they usually when it's when so it's, it's just three films on one disc. No, it's it's multiple discs, but like it's just whack. Oh, like oh, like I, you know you can see like in the you know the three colors collection, it's three separate things. It's all it's a box and it's a whole fucking thing. I, I'm gonna tell you why they did this that. Is whack, bro. They did for marketing, because like three colors you could get away with selling as a box set. That this is still seventy bucks. They charge seventy bucks for that. Not on Amazon Prime. <laughs> so it retails for seventy. Yeah, yeah. Nah, that's some bullshit. Like it's sixty-eight or something. It, you call it seventy. That's some strict. Not, some bullshit. Not not for that. Like fuck. Not not for that package. You could you could have done them separately and charged and and charged forty each. So oh, they did us a favor. But anyway, um, I'm really glad this exists. You know, I love these films. Uh, so 
I don't know. Should I just talk about the other cu- couple of Blu-rays that I? Um, I also grabbed uh, Final Flesh, which is an Agfa release, and uh, it's directed by Vernon Chapman, who also did Wonder Shows and on MTV Two, and uh, it's a fantastic fucking movie. Um, it what it what it is is he uh, he wrote a script. And then he hired a bunch of, there used to be a bunch of like porn companies that you could hire to, and, and tell them like what your fantasy is and pay them to film your fantasy. And so he hired uh, multiple film companies that did this and gave them all different pieces of the script and then put it all together as this film. And it's fucking, it's absolutely bananas. It's fucking nuts. Um, I love it so much. So I grabbed the assholes uh, Blu-ray uh, that it's by Circle Collective. Who's that? Uh, Who is that? It's a. Uh, they're on the one of the. It's Vinegar Vin- Syndrome. It's Vinegar Syndrome Partner Label. It's like gotcha. you know, it just Vinegar Syndrome is the the distributor through mm-hmm. their um, OCN distribution thing. Right on, and that is of course the uh, the Peter Vac uh, directed film of him and his sister Betsy Brown. Uh, I've talked about in the past on here. Um, yeah, and that came out I think in January, so that's probably the only really three uh, physical releases I have from this year. But there you go. There you go. I mean, anything else you want to talk about? Your favorites? You got shows? Uh, I did. Uh, I did just read uh, "We Spread" by Ian Reed, who uh, he also wrote. Uh, I'm thinking of ending things that Charlie Kaufman adapted into a film. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also did one of my favorite books called Foe. So I'm just a I'm a big Ian Reed fan in general. So this is his newest book. It came out in September, and uh, it's it's awesome. I don't know. I don't. I won't give away too much of the plot. I'd just say like if it, if that if you're into like Charlie Kaufman type things, really for that matter. If you're into that kind of weird like meta whatever shit, just like what the fuck is this type books? Uh, dive in, check it out. Awesome. Um, I don't know, man. Uh, what else happened this year? Let me think real quick. You want to talk about your favorite screenings and all that? I don't know. I I think probably my favorite screening was I saw Cranes Are Flying probably even multiple times. I think that was January. So yeah. that's probably my favorite screening this year. I'm trying to think of any. Oh, you know what? I I saw um, I saw Actors, which is the Betsy Brown film that she directed, uh, and then her brother also starred in. Uh, I saw that at Brain Dead. And uh, they both did a Q and A with Sean Baker, and uh, it was awesome. I mean, I just I love I love both these films so much. And they just did a, uh, they just did a screening where they did both of them together in New York, and I'm hoping that comes to LA as well. Nice. Um, and then I, I also saw Down with the King at Brain Dead, uh, and Freddie Gibbs was there. He started the film, um, and he did a Q and A with uh, with the producer of the film. All right. Anything else? <sighs> been an all right year man it's been all right it's been a pain in my ass but it's fine it's another one another trip around the sun bro yeah it's been a very long trip feels like this year has gone by so um i i think this year is probably the most like new music i consume a lot of it thanks to you so but i do want to talk about i think i have a list of nine favorite albums of 2022 plus one reissue because why well, do a top 10, just do a top nine and a reissue and then four singles. Cause I, I, I think this year was, there was a lot of bands that put out really good singles. There's some great singles. Yeah. So let me look at my list. Um, I'm just going to name the albums and kind of a little bit. There's this band Faye tooth, which really snuck in the last minute. It's um, remnants of the vessel, which is like a kind of doom 
stone or rock, sludge metal band, whatever you want to call it. Uh, on Dune Alter Records. So, I mean, that record was fucking sick. And they've, they've done a, a bunch of great records. And shout out to Justin, Dune Alter. Solid. Nice. Bro. Um, that Fleshwater record, We're Not Here to Be Loved. Incredible. Just got into it. That No Pressure record. Like, again, like, didn't know I needed that record. Needed that record. Uh, Freddie Gibbs sold sold separately. That's up there. That Gridiron, No Good at Buys. I think we share a lot of these records. Hellshock, which is kind of a Portland, like, I guess, crust punk metal band, released a new album that was really good. That Boldy James, Nicholas Craven record, Fair Exchange, No Robbery. Another hip-hop record I really liked was Almost Dry by Pusha T. I think it came out pretty early, but, like, I I revisited it just to kind of see, and I think it holds up. It, I honestly feel like, you know, I like that record, the Gibbs record and the Craven Boldy record for all different reasons and it's like you know a lot of people say like all hip-hop sounds the same as bullshit because like these are all sonically very different totally they do. totally and what else oh the nine choirs by tribal gaze which was a band we saw down the street from <laughs> yeah. where we live which made it convenient to go see them had that show been anywhere else neither of us would go on seeing it we just went to a show where we didn't actually go to the show we just sat in the car and drank beers Super punk. Yeah, we were punk as fuck. Didn't pay to get in, drank our beers, left. <laughs> drank and drove. Drank. Well, no. <laughs> it was fine. Fuck the law. Anyway, um, and I got a reissue, which probably is your favorite reissue, too, if you had one. It's the Baltimore band Blank, Anywhere But Here, that Reptilian Records put out on vinyl for the first time. I guess when it came out originally, it was just CD only because the band was done. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I know the second that record went up for sale, I think we all jumped on it. Totally. So it's, you know, if you don't know who blank is, which probably don't because it's very Baltimore centric, you know, band members went on to being cross my heart and liars Academy. And, but that blank record is just incredible. Like, you know, it's, where, like, indie rock, hardcore, and I guess what used to be emo all meet together. So, it's like, you know, as much as the late 90s, early 2000s, like, sound is coming back, it's also nice to hear a band from that era mm-hmm. get a good reissue. And totally. maybe some reevaluation. Um, so, I have also four singles that I want to mention. The first is that fucking Botch song, 122. Like, who, who knew you, Botch was going to do a song? this year and who knew is like probably the best song of the year yep. straight ahead you know sort of mathy hardcore metal listen to that song a lot i mean it's two minutes it's fucking easy to just like put on repeat it's fucking catchy it's like it's fucking great mm-hmm. it's like i hope that's the only new botch song that botch records just just let it be but they're playing shows yeah. so next thing you know there's gonna be a whole new but that's i mean it's kind of the best botch song. <laughs> yeah, it, it 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 actually is like it's the best botch song, and you know if they wrote an album where it's like ten of those, yeah, fucking excellent. I just also get worried when a band like does something so like does a reunion song and it fucking nails it, and then it's just like, man, it's great. I hope they do an album. And then they do an album. It's like fuck. Wish they didn't do the album. Yeah, but so true. Who knows? Um, 
Canadian folk legend Hayden put out a new song called East Coast, which is the first one in like fucking six, seven years. It's okay. Like, and he just, I, I think he's been touring Canada. I hope he tours again. I think the last time I saw Hayden was with you, which was like, fuck, was it like 2008, seven, something like that? At a coffee shop in Virginia. Yeah. I saw him twice on that tour, but it was, it was fucking great. So like, I, I don't know. It's, it's very fitting that he decided to record a song because like it's definitely kind of hidden on a personal level. Yeah. So it it was, I don't know, it's kind of incredible. I always liked Hayden and just like, I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's weird that so many things that I love are coming back. Yeah. And I just want to appreciate it, be it music, movies, people, whatever. Uh, another single I like, this one was from you, is... um. Koyo, 10 Digits Away. Oh, yeah. That song is a catchy motherfucker. And I don't know what they're doing, but there ain't no album out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do like the other EP as well. They're they're sick as hell. Yeah, I they, they've done three EPs, and each EP just adds another song. And I thought, like, oh, I guess there would be an album out eventually. But, like, no. They also had a couple other EPs they put out previously, which are equally good. It's like... I don't even think I like this style of like pop punk stuff, but like, God damn it. Like that song a lot. And the last single is like kind of the one Griselda black soprano family affiliate. It's um Rick Hyde. It's a single called Posa. It's got Rome streets on it. I think alchemist produced it. It's just a fucking nasty fucking track. Like Rome has a fucking great verse. Rick Hyde has a great verse. It's just like I think it's the single that like stuck with me the most. I'm trying to think new movies let, let me let me jump in real quick. Um, because now you got me you got me itching since you're talking about EPs and singles yeah. and stuff. Um, the uh, X Weapon X demo that came out earlier this year. And I think it's it's members of like some like big kind of metalcore hardcore bands. Like it's it's like oh man, I feel like it's somebody from like Knock Loose or something or or um but yeah, just straight edge straight edge hardcore it's kind of fast kind of ignorant it's tough it's ignorant yeah I, I i man i love that record so much so x weapon x uh it's band from france called mascara put out a, a two-song single called half light aftermath on uh fever ltd or fever limited records however you pronounce however yeah. you want to pronounce that but um that uh they put out a two-song single and i think there was like a lathe cut uh seven inch um, that was super limited, maybe even limited to like 25 or something. I got one of those. Uh, Damn, dude. And then uh, there's a band called Church Girls that are, that are pretty sick. But uh, this this single that they put out this year, man, I've listened to this song so many fucking times. It's called Telepathic Mind. It's kind of similar to even like that time record or something. Just like just some guitar pop, man. And uh, the song kicks so much ass. Highly recommend it. It's fucking, you, you'll, you will just listen to it over and over, dude. That's what I want. I just want to listen to songs that like make me happy or like sound just take me to a place, which I feel like, <clears throat> you know, kind of that's kind of what I need now or whatever. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else. Like you know, I saw some new movies. I like Nope a lot. Mm-hmm. I like like Travis Stevens, um, A Wounded Fawn, which I thought was really good. Right on. So I mean, I uh, I saw something in the dirt. Uh, Benson Moorhead film from this. I think it. Like it officially came out this year, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I 
there's some other things as well. I, I do want to give a special shout out to Chris LaMartina and Melissa LaMartina for out there Halloween mega tape, the sequel to WNUF. I screened it at um, Midsummer Screen. And like, I feel like, you know, it's a found footage movie. You know, obviously there's aesthetic, but I think it's a real work of art. And like, I, I just, I get happy when people like push the limits of like things. And like, you know, Chris probably thinks I'm being, would, I'm being pretentious by saying that. But like, I think like creating something so aesthetically on point mm-hmm. is like a real work of art. Like, he just made a fucking anti film. It, it's literally a VHS tape you would find from the 90s with a talk show and a fucking. Halloween live Halloween special on it. Mm-hmm. So I know that's currently out on DVD. I think eventually probably in a year or so it'll probably hit Blu-ray too. But he's he did a whole him and Melissa did a whole like tour with that. Sick. So I just want to give a shout out. That was one of my favorite movies of the year. And yeah, I'm biased. He's a friend, but like I think it's incredible. So I don't know. I think this is gonna wrap up this last episode of 2022 of the cinematic void podcast. I want to thank everyone who's been listening this year, been listening in general. Again, want to apologize for the unexpected hiatus that happened, but sometimes that's what happens in life. Um, I'm going to try to be more prolific in 2023. We've been already talking about doing a, you know, typical January Giallo episode. We'll probably ease back into things and kind of start monthly and then maybe expand again. But, you know, I like hanging out with Nick. I like doing this podcast. Need to do it more. Need to make time to do things you actually like. And as much as we bitch about things on this podcast, this I do enjoy doing this. So thank you, Nick. Thank you for putting up with all the bullshit that makes this podcast happen. Hey, it's fun, man. <laughs> so until next time, see, see you in the, the void. void.